You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So the kids in that video had it right. The night that Jesus was born was the greatest night ever. And the Christmas story is one of the greatest stories ever. And we are going to remember that and celebrate that together here in just a little bit. So it is our joy for Jamie and I to open our home to you. Yes, Grace, we're just so happy to have you here and join us tonight. And we just are so um, grateful for this opportunity to celebrate Christmas together and to just remember what it means, but also just the, the beauty of being able to decorate and anticipate and having people over into our home. And we can't do that this year, but you're making it second best being able to have you here with us. So we love you and we miss you. And it does mean a lot to us to be able to, to share our home with you and to share this time with you. So let's now turn our attention to one of the greatest stories ever, the Christmas story. And so now we want to prepare to dive into God's word. And again, thank you for just letting Jamie and me welcome you into our home. We've really been looking forward to this time with you. So as we prepare to dive into really the greatest story that's ever been told and that's ever happened, God's story, the story of God seeking us through Jesus' Jesus coming as the Messiah. We want to actually turn our attention to what Matthew talks about in what he tells about this story. If you remember in the Gospel of Luke, Luke gives us far more detail about the birth of Jesus. But Matthew directs his focus to the Magi, to these wise men who come from a distant land or distant lands in order to witness for themselves the new Messiah. And so with that in mind, we want to test your knowledge of the Christmas story. Because for many of you, this is a very familiar story. And for certainly a number of you, this maybe is a newer story. But wherever you land in there, let's have a little fun with this to start our time here. And let's see what you know about Matthew's story of the Magi, the wise men, going to see Jesus. So here's a question for you. What method of transportation did the Magi, or the wise men, use to travel to see Jesus? Did they show up on BMX bikes, like the kids in that video demonstrated for us? Did they take Max? Did they come on camels? Did they ride on donkeys? Well, what is the answer to that? And the answer is, we don't know. We don't know how the Magi came to see Jesus. Okay, so that begs the next question. How many Magi were there? Was there one? Well, we can dismiss that right away, right? Because they're called the Magi. That's plural. The wise men, plural, right? So more than one, definitely. So was there two? Was there three? Was there seven? How many Magi actually were there? And the answer? We don't know. We don't know how many Magi there were. Through history, it's been determined that maybe there was three because of the three gifts that are mentioned that were brought by them, but we actually don't know how many Magi actually traveled to come and see and celebrate and worship Jesus. So 
let's, uh, let's consider one more question. So what were the Magi's or the wise men's names? Larry, Moe, and Curly. Yeah, probably not. Daryl, Daryl, and his brother Daryl. And some of you understand that reference, but again, probably not. Stan, Mike, and George, because, you know, those are good familiar names. Probably not. How about Melkor, Gaspar, and Balthazar? Maybe you've heard those names before. But the answer is, again, we don't know. That last choice there of Melchior, Gaspar, and Balthazar, those names surfaced several hundred years after the events of Jesus' birth. But we just don't know for sure what their names were. And honestly, it doesn't matter. But let's consider this. And this one's a little closer to home. What was the star in the east that led the Magi to Jesus? Was it a comet? Was it a planet? Was it the joining of Saturn and Jupiter? And by the way, the conjoining of Saturn and Jupiter is something historically we know did happen about the time of Jesus' birth. And what's really fun with this is this previous Monday, the 21st, Saturn and Jupiter were co-joined again. And I don't know if you were able to see that, but this hasn't happened for 800 years, and it's happening this year. And scholars and astronomers strongly believe that it happened around the time that Jesus was born. So this is a very reasonable choice too. Or was it a brand new star that appeared that led the Magi, the wise men, to where Jesus was? And again, the answer to this is we don't know. We don't know if it was the conjoining of Saturn and Jupiter. That's what movies like the Nativity Story assume, but we just, we don't know that for sure. What we do know is that it was a star that led them to where he was at. So Let's get down to what really matters. What is it that we know that we can definitively say about this amazing historical story? What can we gather from what Matthew shares with us and how he tells this story? Well, that's where we're going to go now. So this is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and I want to read this to you, and I want you to watch for how the various people in this story respond to the birth of Jesus. So here we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And this is out of Micah in the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So let's begin to work our way through this amazing story. And let's enter the story a little bit. So the Old Testament ends with what was written there. And then hundreds and hundreds of years go by. And it seems like God is doing nothing. And we know from history that around the first century, there was an intense longing for the Messiah. And there were actually many false messiahs that surfaced, claimed to be the one, and then were brutally killed and their followers dispersed and crushed by the Romans. And this happened time and time again in this time period. So there was this longing, this desire for Messiah to come because people longed for things to be better. Life was incredibly hard. And we've looked at that in previous weeks. But I think more than ever, we can relate to this. We can understand longing for things to be better. Is there any one of us who does not want life to go back to normal in the midst of COVID and all the craziness of this last year? And as we've already noted, a number of us are ready to say and more willing to say goodbye to 2020 than probably any other year. But are we not all feeling the impact of COVID right now? I mean, think about Christmas. How many of us have had to change and alter our plans? We cannot be with family we want to be with. That's certainly true in our family. We've had to completely re-engineer how we're celebrating Christmas this year. We can't be with friends. We can't be with community. We can't be together as a church family. Probably more than any other time or season this year, we are feeling the effects of COVID and what it means for us. And we long for things to go back to normal. And I think we, with this, with where we're at and with that feeling, we're getting just a sense of what it must have been like for people in Jesus's day to long for the Messiah, to long for something better, for Messiah to come and do and bring all the things that he said he would bring. And so people were waiting. Do you wait? very well or very easily? Especially for something you really want? I have to confess to you, I don't. I'm not very good at waiting. And we have a culture that has conditioned us and taught us not to be very patient or good at waiting for something. This last week, I had to drop by a mailbox, et cetera, place near our house to mail some packages because, again, we're mailing packages and mailing things to family and friends. Ordinarily, we'd get to see at Christmas, who now we can't. And when I pulled up to the storefront, what I quickly realized is everybody else in Gresham was also mailing a package that day to friends or family who they can't be with for Christmas. The line to that place literally went out the door. And as I'm secretly grumbling to myself, I walk up and I start, you know, tapping my foot and thinking, okay, now I got to wait. I've got other things to do. I've got other places to be. And so I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and doing so very impatiently. And so out comes the phone, right? Because that's what we do when we're waiting. We don't want to waste time. We don't want to just do nothing. And so I'm distracting myself and reading news stories and playing a game and, you know, reading scripture and just doing all this stuff to try and pass the time because we've equated waiting with either doing nothing or wasting our time. And waiting doesn't have to be that way and it doesn't have to mean that. 
You see, there's this reality called expectantly waiting. And that's exactly what we know the Magi were doing. Because they were watching the heavens, they were watching the stars. And when the star appeared with whatever star that was that signaled the Messiah had come, the King of the Jews had finally come, they acted. They responded. They and so many others had been waiting for so long. And then they saw the star, which means they were deliberately watching. They were deliberately watching for that star. And when it appeared, they, they, they acted, right? They acted on it. Now, again, was it the Christmas star as the conjoining of Jupiter and Saturn are being referred to as that happens this week? Again, we don't know that, but this is what we do know. In the ancient Near East, in this time in history, it was widely believed and widely held that when a great king or a great leader was either born or died, a star would appear in the sky to signal that event. And so there was this universal understanding that if a new star appeared in the sky, it was significant. There was a significant leader or king who had been born or died. And what we do know is that that story, the Christmas story, what we just read in Matthew, tells us that the Magi came from the east. And we don't know where that was, but we know that it was a long ways. It could have been Babylon, which is now modern Iraq. It could have been Persia, which is now modern Iran. At various times in Jewish history, the Jewish people were exiled to those places. And this could have been a remnant of those who had been left behind. We just, we just don't know. We don't know if they were Jewish. We don't know if they were non-Jewish. But what we do know is they traveled a really long ways to find Jesus. If they came from Babylon or Persia or that part of the Middle East, they traveled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. In fact, right around 900 to 1,000 miles. Now, I did some calculations, and if you and I decided to walk somewhere, take a 900-mile walk. If we headed south, that'd take us to about San Francisco. So can you imagine walking from here to San Francisco? And don't think I-5 and flat ground and easy traveling. Think like the Pacific Crest Trail. Think about going across country and making this trek. It not would just take weeks. It would take months. So they traveled a long ways, wherever they came from, by how this is written, to come see Jesus. And now we begin to see the ironies and the contrasts in this story. And I've learned some things and noticed some things in this very familiar story for me that I hope are significant to you as well. Because the way Matthew writes this story for us, he is deliberately contrasting the Magi with Herod and the leaders, the religious leaders in particular of the nation and the Jewish people. How interesting that everybody can see this star. This star was unavoidable and unmistakable. And they all see it. And the Magi are the only ones who respond to it. Herod and the religious leaders and the people are right there. Bethlehem is literally five miles from Jerusalem. And yet they seemingly don't respond to it at all. In fact, the Magi show up at Herod's palace because they are looking for a king. And where do you find a king? In a palace. 
makes total sense. And so they show up at Herod's palace expecting to find the king of the Jews. And instead, they, they're asking for directions, in, which is just fascinating to me. Because again, think of the contrast. Here's the Magi and the religious leaders and the people. They not only have the start, they have the word of God. They have the Old Testament at this point. And you heard from that story, as we read it, saw from that story, they know exactly the prophecy, the promise out of Micah that says where the Messiah would be born. So they not only know the general area, they know exactly where. And they have a star signaling that the Messiah has been born. And yet they don't get it. And here the Magi show up and they say, just point us in the right direction and we'll figure it out. And so that's exactly what happens. And interestingly enough, Herod and the people and the religious leaders seemingly do nothing with that information. And the Magi continue to search until the star leads them to Bethlehem and then they find God. And how interesting it is with how they all responded when Herod and the leaders and the people heard that the Magi were seeking the Messiah, the King of the Jews, it says they were disturbed. Now, my friends, that is the understatement of the world because that word means terrified. It means agitated, extremely upset. And that's what they were by this news. And what it really reflects is the presence of something, not the absence of something. You see, they had all the information they needed. They had the prophecy. They had the promise. They had the star. But they didn't respond to it. Why? Because of the presence of something. Because of unbelief. Unbelief isn't the lack of information. It is the presence of an unwillingness to believe, to see what's exactly in front of you. And our amazing, graceful, loving God has seemingly unlimited patience for people who are struggling to believe. He has limited patience for people who will not believe. And so the Magi choose to believe. And understand that when Scripture talks about belief, as we've seen from previous weeks, it always assumes action. Belief in the Bible always means action. But it also means something else. It's also intrinsically related to perseverance. And the Magi model that. They perseverantly believe. They follow this star for hundreds, maybe thousands of miles. They don't know where they're going to eventually end up. We have no idea if they had to put their livelihoods on hold. We know that it cost them time. They brought these incredibly costly presents, gifts, because again, they're going to see a king. They make all these sacrifices and they will not stop. They will not relent until they find Jesus. And that's exactly what happens. They find Jesus and how do they respond? Not with unbelief, but with belief. And they worship him. In fact, it says they were overjoyed. And again, this is another one of those words that's kind of an understatement with how we can read it. It means exceedingly great joy. It means bursting with joy. It means ecstatic they're absolutely beside themselves because they know who they are seeing and they are responding accordingly. 
My friends, one of the encouragements in this passage is you don't need a star in order to see and find the work of God. One of the realities in this story is how ordinary it is. Yes, there's this amazing star. And obviously Jesus was extraordinary. He's God. Come as one of us. But all the other characters in this story are ordinary. We looked at this in previous weeks. Joseph and Mary, young, impoverished, teenage, young man and young woman. Nothing special about them from a backwater town. And they're the parents of the Messiah. And the people who show up, like we looked at a couple weeks ago, are the last people you'd ever expect to show up. One of the realities of this story is the reality that we find God in the ordinary, mundane rhythms of life. We see his work in the ordinary of life. And no, you're not always going to have a star. In fact, you'll probably never have a star to guide you to that work, but it means you have to watch for it. And I wonder how many people missed what happened that night because they were busy, because they were consumed with the daily challenges, issues of life, because they were distracted, and ultimately because they weren't looking and they weren't paying attention for the work of God. Everybody could see the star. Eh, just another star. Isn't that interesting? Jamie and I very deliberately took some time on one of our walks and one of our runs this last week to think back over 2020. Because again, for most of us, we would just like to turn the page on this year and, and move on. But we deliberately stopped ourselves ourselves to think deliberately about what has God done this year? How has God been working in his family? And we began to recite these incredible ways he's provided for us in so many ways. Healing he's brought in relationships and healing in different parts of our lives and prayers that have been answered and these amazing things that have happened. But we had to step back and look for it. And these are all things that happened in the ordinary rhythms of our lives this last year. And so that's why it's so important that we slow down, especially in a time and season like this, to reflect on and think about the work of God. And one of the works of God that I'm thinking about that I think captures so much of what this story tells us and the hope it gives us is my dad. And one of the reasons why I've shared recently so much about my family and about the loss of my dad is there are so many of you who have lost someone you love. And man, does that become vivid during the holidays. And so I appreciate your grace to allow me to share my journey with you in that. Because I know that so many of you have been there or are there your, yourselves. But my friends, there is something new about my dad this year that has never been true. And it's this. For the last 35 years, every Christmas, I have longed for my family who don't know the Lord and for my dad, who I wasn't sure knew the Lord, to know the Lord. And there were years that honestly, I felt like giving up. 
there were many seasons where Jamie had to give me pep talks on, okay, we pray for your dad. We look for opportunities to love him and to be Christ to him and to serve him and to have spiritual conversations with him. And we just continue to be faithful and looking for the work of God in his life. And maybe you're like where I was in those seasons. Maybe for whatever reason, you've secretly given up on believing in the work of God. For whatever reason, you've just, you've lost hope, you've given up. My friends, it was about this time last year that my Jamie and I had one of the last lucid conversations my dad could have before he began the final weeks of his life, before he passed away, where we had this defining moment conversation, Jamie in particular, where my dad basically said he felt like he knew Jesus and that Jesus was in his life. My friends, this is the first time in 35 years, because I've been a believer for 35 years now, that I know where my dad is at spiritually. He's with the Lord now. And it was 35 long years of watching and waiting and believing and hoping that my dad would make that choice in his life. So my friends, once again, we've worked our way through this story and I hope that this story is working on you as it has me. Because you have a choice with how you're going to respond. You can respond like Herod and the people did. You can push Jesus away. Or actually what Herod will do, if you read on in Matthew and in this chapter, he will try to murder Jesus because he's threatened by him. Because he recognizes that Jesus has an authority that he has to bow down to or he has to destroy And some of you have done just that. You have pushed Jesus out of your life. Maybe you've pushed him to a comfortable place. But in terms of him being your Lord and Savior and guiding and directing your life and being the focus of your worship and of your life, you've decided not to do that, at least for now. And maybe there are some of you who are listening to this or watching this at some point who you're kind of ambivalent about Jesus. I mean, yeah, you're kind of into this Jesus thing, but... Not not really. I mean, not in the day-to-day. And you're so missing out. You're so missing out on the joy that could be yours, the joy that the Magi experienced because they recognized, they realized who Jesus was and they responded to him accordingly. And then there are hopefully a number of you watching and listening to this who you do love Jesus and he does bring you joy. And this is an opportunity once again to rekindle and renew that joy, to think about where you are with him, what he means to you, what he saved you from, what he has saved you to, as we've looked at this last week with Sean. But my friends, this story demands a response. And even if you choose to be ambivalent, that's a response. But as we prepare to sing about this incredible night of Jesus' birth and remember some of the realities of what we've seen in this passage, we're also going to be lighting candles. And I want to encourage you to make this response meaningful. Make it mean something. When it comes time to light candles in just a little bit, 
Make that a choice to respond to Jesus, to believe him for joy, to believe him that he loves you, to believe him that he says he will never leave or forsake you, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, to believe him when he says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's worship this amazing God now and remember this incredible story. So Jesus is the light of the world. And I would like to read together the passage out of the Gospel of John that emphasizes this reality. So if you will read this with me, it's John chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, and let's say it together. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And by remembering and celebrating his story, we have seen his glory. And there is a joy, there is a peace, there is a hope that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And I truly pray that that is true for you, that you know him, that he is your Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for this time that we've had together to seek him, to listen to him, to worship him, and to celebrate him together. Merry Christmas to you. Worship him, love him, and live for him. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.